President Biden's recent comments on executive compensation are correct. In fact, his position closely resembles what I've been writing about for much of my career. The explosion of stock-based compensation and with it executive pay packages that climb into the billions all have their roots in IRS code. A code created by a law championed by none other than President Bill Clinton. Bill decided CEOs were just making too much money and that government should play a role in leveling the playing field. The Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1993 established IRS Code 162M, limiting the amount of executive pay that could be expensed to just $1 million. On its own, corporate boards would have to reconsider high compensation as the lack of a write-off would start to cut into profits and eventually share prices. However, the code permits expensing of performance-based pay above the stated $1 million if certain goals are met. Those goals are up on your screen right now, but if you're listening to the pod, leave a message and an email. I'll get it to you right away. It didn't take long for this law to become an inside joke in corporate America. Performance-based stock compensation swept the country, taking many forms, including but not limited to restricted stock and stock options. Unfortunately, President Biden voted for this legislation while serving in the Senate, an act he says he regrets today. It's not often I'm on the same side as the president, but his recent commentary is almost word for word what I've been talking and writing about for the last decade. Welcome to The Money Runner. I'm David Nelson. On its own, performance-based compensation, it sounds great. What could be more shareholder-friendly than tying the pay package to the performance of the company? However, when you get into the nitty-gritty, it ain't so pretty. doesn't take long to see how the system can be gamed. By definition, if you're paying executives with stock rather than cold, hard cash, you are diluting existing shareholders. In addition, as the float gets increasingly larger, the financial metrics start to deteriorate. Where the president gets it wrong is the following. Regulating income isn't the goal. At least it shouldn't be. When you're paying in cash, there are rational limits to how much a board would authorize an executive pay. It would certainly be a lot more than the $1 million threshold that bothered President Clinton. But when you switch over to stock-based compensation, the sky's the limit. Get out the printing press and jack up the boss's pay as high as you want. The board understands this, leaving the stock buyback as the preferred tool to keep dilution in check. At a minimum, you have to buy back enough shares to offset what you've paid out in stock to management and insiders. But of course, the buybacks often go well beyond that. Stock buybacks are sold as an efficient way to return capital to shareholders. That's the problem with a lie. A good lie has just enough truth in it to sell the fantasy. Performance-based pay metrics take on all forms, not necessarily just stock performance. It could include diversity metrics, other ESG goals, but almost always financial metrics as well. There is no easier way for a CEO to hit a financial goal than a stock buyback. 
Remember, a stock buyback does nothing for revenue, nothing for net income. It increases earnings per share simply because you reduce the share count. Economically, nothing's changed. Perhaps more money could have gone into research and development, maybe a new product, a new factory, or an upgrade to an existing one. The real reason CEOs defend stock buybacks is that R&D and CapEx have long payback cycles, and the real reward often comes long after they've stepped aside. Some companies, along with their shareholders, paid the price for this short-term thinking. I've seen a lot of this in my career. Many come to mind, but IBM is probably the poster child for stock buybacks that did little or nothing for investors. Back in 2011, Warren Buffett announced on CNBC that he had bought his first tech company, IBM, taking down 64 million shares at an average price of 170. All in, his initial investment was $10.7 billion. For most of that time, Ginny Rometty was chief executive officer who took on the role in 2012 until she finally stepped down in 2020. From 2011 to 2018, the years Buffett owned the stock, IBM bought back $57.9 billion in stock, an average of $7.2 billion per year. Let's examine what shareholders received in that bargain. Look no further than the top line, which declined every year from 2012 on. Net income declined as well. In fact, they couldn't even grow the bottom line or earnings per share, even with buybacks reducing the share count. When you add in what they expensed in stock-based compensation each year, you can see they were buying back a lot more stock than needed to cover the dilution. If Bloomberg data is correct, by my count, Ms. Remedy received close to $158 million during her reign, and I'm not even counting what she may have received as executive chairman in 2020. Under her leadership, IBM stock lost approximately 22% in market value and probably billions of missed opportunities to grow the company. Buffett's investment in IBM, that didn't bear fruit either telling CNBC he entered the stock with an average price of 170 exiting years later in the mid-140s. Let's move up the clock to something more recent. Last year's Hall of Shame winner has to be Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav. David received $246.6 million in compensation with shares in his company declining 65% last year. I'd love to know the performance metric he hit to get that pay package. At least in the case of Elon Musk's record $55.8 billion award, a compensation deal entered to in 2018 was based on Tesla hitting a market cap of $650 billion within the decade. By definition, shareholders benefited in that deal. The truth rarely lives on the extremes, and that's true for this podcast as well. Some buybacks are necessary. While Apple certainly buys back stock to offset equity dilution from stock-based compensation, Apple is a company that generates so much cash they can't possibly invest it all. The return of capital to shareholders in this instance through a buyback is justifiable. Let's look at the energy industry. Chevron recently announced they are adding $75 billion 
to their buyback authorization, one that I would normally criticize. However, the path for Chevron and other energy companies is clear. Increasingly, government has taken a hostile stand against the industry. In fact, President Biden campaigned on the promise of putting them out of business. Energy CEOs will take an overly cautious stance on sinking funds into projects that are decades in the making, at least until there's a clear understanding of what the regulatory environment is going to look like. Very difficult to commit capital to projects that extend 10 to 20 years when the regulatory backdrop is driven by an election cycle every four years. The only responsible action in the face of this challenge is to return the capital to shareholders. The president's plan? More taxes. And now he wants to quadruple the buyback tax. You're not going to tax your way out of this mess. Congress needs to get involved and rethink the Clinton fiasco of IRS Code 162M. The president said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't care what Bill Clinton's intentions were, but the unintended consequences that followed set the stage for an explosion in CEO compensation well beyond their contribution to the company and shareholders. The end result is an executive employee income gap that is off the charts and a drag on future economic output. At a time when we're facing stiff competition from both friends and adversaries around the world. If this bothers you, stand up and say something. Write your congressmen, write your senators. You have a voice, use it. (sighs) 